Ben, if I wanted to hear a podcast between you and Justin Koo talking about life, love, and other mysteries, where would I go to find this podcast? You would definitely go first to the internet. If you don't know how to use the internet, you'd open your web browser, Google Chrome, uh-huh. Mozilla Google Firefox, Chrome. something of that sort. Safari? And then you would go to Justin Koo's Instagram, which is at jkoo. And then there's a link... <laughs> No, I think that's probably the worst way to find the podcast. <laughs> I would imagine, like, you could do that on your phone, oh, right? Yeah, these people are never going to find the podcast, and that's cool because that means you probably won't get canceled because no one's going to listen. <laughs> it's crazy is that th- all three of us do podcasts and we can't figure out what to say. Well, hey guys, this has been very helpful. I'm excited <laughs> to, to, to listen to the Dusty Boys podcast. Count me in. Death to Life is brought to you by Loved Reality, a good gospel ministry. Our mission is to tell everyone willing to listen that in Christ, by faith, they are free from sin. Everything that we make is made possible because of the generosity of people like you. Thank you. The world doesn't think that the gospel can change your life, but we know that it can. And that's why we want you to hear these stories, stories of transformation, stories of freedom, people getting free from sin and healed from sin because of Jesus. This is Death to Life. My brother-in-law was making pornography videos at a big warehouse, he had a sound stage. He was one of those guys who had, he was in, into mail order. And so he, he needed to make a lot of product all the time. And I remember one day being on a set and all of a sudden, I remember this moment, these girls began to occur for me as my daughter 19 years later Mm. or 18 years later or 16 years later. Like it began to occur for me that these girls that I was trafficking in and treating just that they were just utensils once were like my daughter in my arms and their fathers had hopes and dreams and they bounced them on their knees and and it was beautiful and and, and all of my fatherhood. I couldn't stop taking it to the set with me. So again, the, the Bible says, train your child in the way you should go and they'll never depart from it. Whatever my father and my mother and, and my education, my parents' prayers for me had laid in my heart, as far out as I went, there, there was a place where I just couldn't push past that. And so that, that's why I, I left the, uh, the pornography business. Yo. Welcome to the Death of Life podcast. My name is Richard Young, and today's episode is with my man John. And I we have we've had a lot of different episodes on the Death of Life podcast. We ain't never had an episode like this. We have never had an episode like this, and have never had a story like this. It is powerful, man. John's story, just to see what God is doing, I'm just blown away by it. It's a guy who pretty much left, was gone. God gave him a revelation of his love. He came back and for some years was back, but didn't understand the gospel. And then there's gospel. So yeah, it's a brother who has seen some things in life and has come through on the other side, loved by God. So I I think you're going to love this episode. I think it's going to bless you. So let's just jump into it. Buckle up, strap in. Love y'all. Appreciate y'all. Here's John. So yeah, man, talk to me. Where? How do I say your okay, last so name? Okay, so it's three syllables, right? And so think about it. It's Lao, like in loud, but no D. So Lao. And then uh-huh. Long, Lao. not short, Long. And then E, Lao Longi. 
Lao Longa. Okay, that's not hard. I've just seen exactly. Your... That's exactly the problem. But there's no in in your last name. But that's how it's You're, said. Lao Longa in Samoa, the G has an inferred N because it's a long a, a G. So Lao Longi. Lao Longi. Were you born in American? So I was born in Portland, Oregon. My father was a, a Marine and he had come across like most Samoans, find himself a beautiful white woman, have some kids, get a couple of retirements from the military. And then that's how they live. And uh, God found him and arrested him and the rest is history. <laughs> Crazy. So where does your story start, John, if you're going to pinpoint a place? And when I say your story, when it comes to spiritual matters in your life. You so I can tell you, my father was a, was a pastor and evangelist. So I was four or five years old when he uh, became an Adventist. And he had quite the story. We ended up um, moving to New Zealand to become, he was a missionary in New Zealand. And his story had, it was a great story of faith because he was 40 years old when he came to faith. He had six kids. He decided to quit the Marines after 15 years, go to PUC, get his education. All of his instructors said that no one would hire him. And then this call came from New Zealand. This call was tailor-made for a man who was Samoan, knew the culture, knew the language, was also theologically trained by Adventists. And at that time, my father was one of one. <laughs> there was, he was the only man that fit that description. So we moved to our, my, my childhood was just enveloped in this faith. Wow, God is incredible. Uh, but as I, I grew up being raised as an Adventist, going to always Adventist schools, it was very clear, uh, very clear, very quickly that this was checkbox Christianity. There, there were things that I could do and there are things that I couldn't do. And if I was supposed to do the things that I was supposed to do, and that would get me to heaven. And this is like the probably the mid seventies, early seventies. And I don't think I don't know if things have changed since then. That was very clear. Do not smoke. Do not drink. Make sure your dresses, if you're a girl, are three inches from the floor. If you go to the beach, you know, make sure that you you don't swim on a certain. It, it was all rules. And so, growing up, the first instinct was to obey these rules and try to earn heaven that way. And Man, when I was Richard, when I was 15, 14, 15, I began to realize that I couldn't do this. I, I, my heart was not capable of doing these things. Now, I had friends to my left and to my right who would go to church and go to, and go to school, and they would, they would try to be good, and they would, they would try to fit in. But I knew them on, 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 you know, on Thursday night. I knew them on Saturday night when the sun went down. I realized they were just like me. And I also learned quickly that was not a part of, a, a part of life that I wanted to be a part of. I didn't want to be a, a, a hypocrite. And so probably, I would say 14 or 15, I, I, I was back stateside. My father was getting his master's at Andrews University. And as I began to grow up in this culture, I realized that I always knew there was a God. And I always knew there was a God who was a, was a, a God of, of judgment. So I knew that there was going to be a day out there. I was never fooled by that. But I thought to myself at some point, you know what? I can never be righteous enough for him. So I'm going to go out in the world. I'm going to enjoy all the things that my heart wants to do. And when he comes back, he'll just have to deal with me and I'll accept have a good enough life to balance that against that. And so that was the beginning of my story was my father was an Adventist, he was a missionary. So I knew all the books of the Bible. I could get up on stage and, and say the things I was supposed to say. But in my heart, I knew that there was no way I could ever live up to what I thought it meant to have a life that would be deserving of eternal life. When, when did you start feeling, would you describe it as rebellion or would you describe it as like you didn't, you weren't buying what they were Interesting selling? question. I, I'm sure there was some rebellion in there. My father was a Marine drill sergeant. He was also full-blooded Samoan, so he was six foot two and he weighed 300 at his prime. And there's that sense of, of authority. But I think rebellion, as you asked me that question, 
was a smaller component. The yeah. big, larger component was I bought into what he was selling. I knew that there was a God. I believed in the Bible. I believed that Jesus was coming. I believed in all the doctrines of the church per se. But I think the biggest partnership, if this answers your question, was it, it, I thought it was futile. I thought it was useless. On my best day, I, I couldn't measure up. I was a regular dude. I, I, I had these come to Jesus moments where, oh my gosh, I want to be good. And so I'd get in my Bible and I'd be good Monday and Tuesday. And then Tuesday afternoon, I'd do something. And then I think I'm lost. And I would just zoom back and forth. And, and that ride made me dizzy and it got me tired. And I think ultimately speaking, got me frustrated and it made me hopeless. That, does that answer? Is that? Sure. What, what did God think about you? Oh, that's a, In your mind back then. In my mind, God loved me. God had a sort of a paternal love for all of us. So I, I always felt that way about him. But I felt that God, I'm saying these words for the first time, I hope they come out good because this is a good question. But specifically to do with me, I felt that in order for me to be able to please God, to be able to satisfy him in a way that, that would allow me to be in relationship with him, where he would smile at me and be pleased with me, I had to do certain things. And, I, and you're cutting to the chase of what I was trying to say. I had tried to do that over and over, and I never felt successful. I never felt that I could do enough things back to back to have any kind of sustained acceptance. There's the word I'm looking for, acceptance from God. So God did not accept you then? No. I had some moments. There were some moments there where I felt like I I strung together a couple days back to back that that felt good. Maybe I could go four or five days, but no, over time, yeah, no. John, don't you just realize if you could have just gone a few more days, <laughs> he, he would have accepted you and you would have been good. But, oh man, you stopped at day three or four. That's tough. So then what ended up happening? Were you living in Bering Springs at the time? Were you living in, in Michigan at, at this point when you're 14, no, 14, 15? 14, 15 um, is when I made the decision. I still lived under my dad's roof. And so I was still obeying, doing the things I had to do. But it was very, at this point in time, before I left my father's house, I was definitely knowing that this was not the path for me. My father got a call to Trinidad and Tobago. So I spent my senior year. The other thing that was happening is that because of this and because of other sort of things in the background, I was getting kicked out of the Adventist Academies left and right. I went, I've probably been to every Adventist Academy that there is. I was in Andrews, they kicked me out. I went to Broadview Academy and outside of Chicago, they kicked me out. My father sent me to Monterey Bay, which is this beautiful campus on the ocean in California. So I leave Michigan in dead of winter to go to Monterey Bay. And four months later, they kicked me out, shipped me back to Michigan. And so I'm not uh, finding a home. It, it was, you say the word rebellion. Can you give us an example of why, uh, you don't have to tell oh, me, but like, why were you getting kicked out? What did you do to get kicked out of Okay, so Monterey Bay, uh, here's one of the stories. So Monterey Bay Academy had a lights out system where you had to, where, where it's like, it's 9.55, lights out in five minutes. And so I'm not a technical genius, but I always could find people who were. And so we, at the time, KISS was the most, was the largest rock band and the most hated by religious institutions. That, that, nothing could send you to hell faster than owning a KISS cassette, right? I just said cassette. Yes, I did. And a buddy of mine hooked up to the sound system, this KISS cassette. And then, but it said when they flipped the switch where the lights were to go out, this would broadcast on the entire dorm. And so one night they 
flick the switch. I want to rock and roll. Oh, that was actually the song. And party every and then blared over the speakers, and both of the deans were running about in the hallway and just going crazy. And it was things of that nature. And they weren't, I was never hurting anybody. They were more mischievous and incorrigible rebellion. Yeah, a little bit, but it was things like that. I just was having, I was having some fun. Yeah. So the administration found out about Gene Simmons blaring yes. out the speakers. And they uh, tortured one little boy to another little boy to another little boy. And just the wall didn't hold. And it came back to the mastermind. And I was ceremoniously asked to uh, return to Berrien Springs, Michigan. Fun fact, my father flew me out. He made me ride the bus back. <laughs> he was not happy. Right? It's a four-day bus ride with the old men on my shoulders with spitzel. It was crazy. <laughs> when when you were getting kicked out of these places, were you like, fine? Did you care? I did not care. I did not care. Yeah. There were, wow, what a great question. I think the answer to that question gives you my attitude at the time towards the religious community was that, I don't care what you think about me. I, I understand already that I'm incorrigible. I understand that I'm unredeemable. And so what you think about me means nothing. Now, my father, 6'2", and he weighed 265, 275, him I feared. And I did not want to go home because he's a Samoan parent and they don't, they don't spare the rod. That I feared. But the actual community itself, man, we had, yeah, I, it was unambiguous, my feelings for them. Yeah. Where did you end up graduating so I didn't. I, I ended up, my father got a call to Trinidad and Tobago. I went there in my senior year. I worked. That's where I started my, my first drink of whiskey, et cetera, because I'm in the culture now. I'm 17 years old. I'm an American. And you're looked at in a certain way when you, in those days when you travel the world. And so I spent my senior year and then the first half year of my next year in Trinidad with my father. I was working to help him support what we were doing in, in Trinidad. And I had probably one of the best 17-year-old runs that any 17 year old had, it was, it was a pretty good, good, good gig. I came back before my father came back. I went to live with my sister and then my father got a call to Compton, Samoan Seventh-day Adventist Church in 1980. And then I rejoined my father in 1980 here in California. So what are you up to? So I think I'm smarter than everybody. I, at the time I'm very arrogant, lots of hubris fly around in my life. I've been pushed up a couple of times in classes. I've been educated in the Commonwealth system in New Zealand. And so when I came here, one of the reasons why I was so incorrigible was that we had learned this stuff. The Commonwealth system is so far advanced in the American schooling system. So I came back at ninth grade and I had probably an 11th grade education. And so that was part of it. And so I, I had this mindset that I was smarter than the world. My father said, hey, I'll send you to, to, to college. And I was like, no, no, I'm going to go do my own thing. And so I started working for some companies. And my main mindset, Richard, was to get rich. I just thought to myself, if I just got wealthy, I'm, I'm smart. I can, I'm in Los Angeles. And unfortunately, I had very a, a nefarious mindset at this time and, and something that I that is taking the gospel to Quelch. And that is shortcuts, trying to figure out you know, how to match wits. And because my father and I did not see eye to eye on the important things in life, I began to gravitate towards father figures that could admire me, could accept me, could say, attaboy, John. And because of my nefarious heart, I ended up running in at the age of 24 with a guy who was the conciliar to a, to a mob guy in New York. He was, I remember when I first met this guy, he showed me his guy who was in, in, in the mob and Billboard magazine had run this, this front page article about mob bosses infiltrating Hollywood. And our guy was 18 and had a bullet by him. He was rising in the charts. He was a young guy, educated at Yale. His dad was a capo. 
And this guy, his name is Michael Francesi. You can look it up. He's a great, good-looking guy, educated. And he's making a ton of money. He's very, doing very well. And so my guy was like his advisor in some ways. And so that allowed us to do nefarious deeds. And then if we got into trouble, we could run to his guy who we, we paid a, a big to. What crime family was, like, was he uh, one of the five the families? Banana, the Bonanno family. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Funny story. or not funny story. God is so powerful. Michael Francis is a Christian today. Michael Francis today. I've heard his name. Isn't he in Hollywood? Yes. Or something? Or something? Like, he goes out okay. to schools and great guy. It's a funny story, but his wife and my ex-wife had gone to school together. It's such a smaller world. But anyway, he became a Christian and he actually goes and, and speaks on, on, on God's behalf. So that's was sort of, so at 24 years old, I had this guy who saw a little bit, he had just lost his son to cancer. And so he saw me as a son figure. I was looking for a father figure. And, and, but this guy led a life of crime. I mean, literally we were confidence men, Richard, in every sense of the word. We had an office, we had parking spaces. We went there to work at a desk, at a telephone, but our only job for probably five or six years in my twenties was to figure out how to separate people from their money in so many different ways. And looking back, I realized, I didn't realize this at the time, the guy's name was Jerry, called him Jerry Z. I didn't realize his appeal to me, but in retrospect, his appeal was, I was looking for a father. I was looking for someone to say, John, attaboy, you're accepted. And this goes back to our conversation about the gospel, that when you don't understand the gospel and you think that your father in heaven is not pleased with you because of your behavior, this is troublesome. This is an issue. And so men, boys like me, will go look for fathers who will love them right where they are. And this guy had no problem loving me right where I was. And that's where I was most of my 20s. I, I bet you were pretty, if you weren't street smart when you started with Jerry Z, you probably acquired some street smarts. Oh and were really, were you a good con man? Were you able to separate people from their money very easily? Wow, it's, uh, way, honestly, way too good. He taught me so many skills. He, like any other good teacher, he'll push into areas that you're uncomfortable. And because of my Christian background and because just my heart that God has blessed me with, I didn't like taking from people. I didn't like taking from companies. But I remember one time, one time there was a, an elderly woman who, whose son was a drug dealer. And he was actually dealing drugs to a buddy of mine, a friend of mine who was part of our coalition. Long story short, her house was free and clear. And her son had given us the ability to come in there and, and refinance the house and use the money for whatever nefarious deeds. And so I was the front man. So I went there. And so it happened and, and they end up losing their house. And, I, and it's probably the one thing that really sticks in, in my heart. I've, I've lost a lot of sleep over this woman who trusted me. He looked me in the eye and I sat at her kitchen table and did all the things. And, but even at that time, Richard, my heart was breaking. I would go home. And so I wasn't a great criminal. I wasn't a great uh, criminal. I remember one time we brought in these this Russian circus in the late eighties. There was a circus called the Steve Lieber circus and it was perestroika and glass nose was in the air. And so Russia was big money, right? Rocky, five, I think four or five was out. And so these Kuwaiti guys had contacted my guy. And said, hey, let's bring a circus from Russia and we'll make a killing. So they brought a circus across. And I was the front guy. I would go to Johnson City, Tennessee, or to the Hershey Stadium in Pennsylvania. And I would be the advanced guy. And I would send up all the clown tours in the hospitals. And we brought the circus over. But we were just flim flam guys. And when the Kuwait War happened, our backers all of a sudden couldn't, we didn't hear nor hide nor hair. And so I was stuck there in Atlanta, Georgia with 126 men, women, and children with lions, tigers, bears, all this baggage. And it went to hell in a handbasket. It was terrible. It took a year and a half of my life. People, families separated. 
these men and women who were Russian heroes because they were circus performers went home just completely embarrassed and humiliated. And those two events made me think to myself that I need to be careful about what I put my energy into because I could see the human toll, right? Um, taking mechanisms that you're dealing with, that crushed me. And, and that's really what sort of led me out of doing what I was doing there. My, my brother-in-law, who we did a lot of business with, he was the largest pornographer in the Valley for a while. And he had told me one day, he told my sister, John would be the best con man, but his big problem is he's got a conscience. He's got to lose that stuff. Then he could be perfect. He'd be the perfect guy. And as I mentioned earlier, my brother-in-law was making pornography videos in the San Fernando Valley. He was the quintessential Valley guy. He had a big warehouse. He had a sound stage. He was one of those guys who had, he was in, into mail order. And so he, he needed to make a lot of product all the time. And so one day I had actually fleeced him for not a lot of money. I'd, I'd run a game on him and I had I made like eight grand or something. And he said to me, he called me and said, listen, go pay me back. I know that you, I know that you, you pulled a fast one on me, but work for me. Come work for me. Uh, and I said, well, what I do? Because I make these videos, go on the sets, and you can be a production assistant, whatever. And, and so his main director at the time was a guy named Ron Jeremy, who was in the news recently. And so I would go on set with Ron Jeremy. I would be his production assistant. And then pretty soon, my brother-in-law promoted me to production manager. And next thing I was directing these things. And so I'd gone legit a little bit. I, I was actually earning money now as opposed to stealing it from people. But it was just a different sort of game. And so I did that probably for about a year and a half going out there. And I had three kids at the time. I was married at the time. I had a daughter and two sons. And they would know that dad was flying to San Francisco or dad was going to Vegas to shoot movies. And they would, when they got older, they would say, dad, when can we go to the movies to see these movies? <laughs> You're like, no. <laughs> exactly. <I'm> like, <sighs> and then one day, I, I'm sure it was the spirit of God working, Rich. I remember one day being on a set and all of a sudden, this, I remember this moment, all of a sudden these girls began to occur for me as my daughter 19 years later mm. or 18 years later or 16 years later. Like it began to occur for me that these girls that I was trafficking in and treating just that they were uh, uh, just utensils once were like my daughter in my arms and their daughters had, their fathers had hopes and dreams and they bounced them on their knees and, and it was beautiful. And, they, and, and all of my fatherhood, I, I couldn't stop taking it to the set with me. So again, the conscience, when the Bible says, train your child the way you should go and they'll never depart from it. Whatever my father and my mother and, and my education, my parents' prayers for me had laid in my heart, as far out as I went, there, there was a place where I just couldn't push past that. And so that, that's why I, I left the, uh, the pornography business too, for that exact reason. Yeah. Was this world that you were in, in the pornography world, was it, did it seem as terrible as it? as we all know it is, or was it just, oh, these are just people, everyday people doing their jobs. Did you put, try to put on rose colored glasses to do it for as long as yeah, you did? Interestingly enough, most of the folks that are in the business love pornography. I'm, I know you, I'm sure you know the statistics, 90% of America has watched pornography. And I, I know this to be true from experience. I would go with Ron Jeremy to a supermarket or to, to a record store and who didn't know him? These are not people you think are watching pornography. These are school teachers. These are police officers, right? He, we would go that. We would go. He knew Poison. He knew Guns N' Roses, all the people in that, at that time. And so we would hang out. It was very prolific, but I was not one of those guys. If I did not, was not introduced to Ron Jeremy through my brother-in-law, I would not know who he was. I had never watched porn as a kid growing up. It was not my vice. And so I was unique in a way that I came into the business, of course, being in my mid-20s and probably being the youngest director because they're mostly old, older dudes. It was it was a little bit of a charge, but it wasn't like 
oh, I'm in my world. This is so cool. I was making good money at the time. It was petty to be the, the, the leader of an enterprise who flew people someplace. And it's more like that than the actual business. With respect to the people themselves, honestly, it's the, the sense that I were on was much more decent than you might imagine. Yes, of course, these people, mm-hmm. they're, they're, there are people on the set that were more nefarious than the guys to the left or to the right. But every you can go to a church and find that. You can go to a school and find that. These sure. are, by and large, regular people like us who just had this hole in their heart, and they were trying to fill it through different methodologies. Some of them were, it was a money game, but I think a lot of them had father issues. A lot of them had like love issues, that there was a hole in their heart that they were trying to fill. And they sold themselves this idea that it's just their body, it's not their soul. But ultimately speaking, Richard, not one of them escaped the the grinder that I saw, not one. Um, So... After that, did thoughts ever come in your mind from time to time? You still believed that God existed. You just believed you were too far gone. But like when he came into mind, hmm. was it, what was that? Interesting. Trying to think back in those days, um, never, ever didn't think there was a God. Did I pray at that time? Probably not. I don't remember having conscious thoughts about God. I remember looking at being an Adventist and understanding the end time message as, as much as I did. I did follow the news and my father and I would get into vicious conversations about, you know, about politics and about how the world was going. So there was a cognizance that the world was going towards a place that the Bible had talked about. So I guess in some level, I was still trafficking or operating on these premises. But day to day, I didn't really think I, I was divorced from God. I guess that's the best word to say in my mind, in my heart what he thought of me, very similar to the authorities that we talked about earlier, that the religious community that I was like, I was ambiguous. I know you don't accept me. I know you don't love me. So I'm going to live my life. I think that's probably analogous. I think that, yeah, I didn't, God was there. I knew he was out there, but I knew he'd never accept me. He's certainly not going to accept me now. I'm just going to live my life and we'll see what happens. Wow. What did happen? God is so good. God is so good. I was such a cad that that in my at 30 years old I had divorced my wife and I had an eight-year-old, a six-year-old, and a, and a five-year-old, and ran off with this 19-year-old and we shacked up in Burbank. And I was trying to go straight, getting away from porn, getting away from all that stuff. And then I had a little run in San Diego and we had a little thing going on. Again, no no Christian stuff happening there. I was just trying to build my life. But it was all built on nefariousness. I, I, I was loath to get a job. I felt like employment was beneath me. I own companies. I run companies. I don't work for people. And so I got through this mindset. It was just, it was vacuous. It was empty. It was completely hubristic. And it was empty. It was, there was nothing there. And I didn't realize this till afterwards. But my 10-year relationship with my girlfriend she understood it at some level as well. And in the 2001, we were living in Burbank and uh, I was doing sort of straight movies at the time. I'd done it, some HBO stuff. I was trying to branch out. And so we made a little bit of money and I sent her to Miami to do some stuff. And she came back and I found pictures in her purse of her and another man. And uh, anyway, the way she broke up over infidelity. And I had been through tons of stuff. I had been through, I'd been homeless in my life before. I've been through ups and downs and it never daunted me. But this infidelity thing, man, it just took the wind out of me. And I didn't even understand it. And, and then my life began to spiral. 
and I began to, to to drink more and do more cocaine and use use Vicodin and even things out again. And, and this is this was going on for about a, a year and a half as as God was in retrospect, I see that God was just breaking me down. Like he was taking everything away from me that I was using to prop up this facade of who I was, the Mercedes and the beautiful girlfriend and, and the positions and stuff. And so girlfriend went first. Wow. I was processing that. Um, I had, I had consulting work. I was doing some, I had a friend at the mayor's office that would refer me business consulting business. And, and one by one, all those consulting gigs began to dry up a little bit. And I remember I had one, um, gig that was going to make about 70 grand on that was just, it was done deal. It was the one thing I could count on at the last minute that fell away as well. It was just nuts. And so I'm in my Burbank house and it's three in the morning. I, I got sure I have cocaine in the gate. I got my jacket coat by my side. I'm listening to Sarah McLaughlin music in the background. I have candles burning. Richard, I'm not suicidal, but I'm despondent. Like I am, and I'm going to clean up the next morning and go and look like John and be shiny again. But in my heart, I'm having a hard time hiding this fact that I am broken. I am broken. And in that moment, I hear this sort of, not an audible voice, but this impression that says, go warm your hands by the fire. And the image that came to my mind was there's a church on the, off the 134. If you, if you live in LA, you'll know that to go from Burbank to Pasadena, there's a freeway called the 134. And up on the hill, there's like a sombrero shaped, shaped SDA church called the Vallejo Drive. Seventh-day Adventist Church is a huge church. It's a conference church. And that was the image I got. And so that night, so I stayed up till the next morning. I didn't go to sleep. I took a shower, put my best suit on, tried to make sure my nose was clean. I'm sure I was still a little drunk. I put my trench coat on, put my big wayfarers on. And I drive to this church and thank God this church is like cavernous because I didn't want to see anybody. I just was just have this instinct. I got to get to warm my hands by the fire. And uh, I go in the church and nobody says hi to me. Thank God. I go up to the upstairs and there's a huge balcony upstairs if you've been there. And I go to the very, very back. And so here I am. I got my trench, my three piece my trench coat, my big thick wayfarers on in the back there. And this crazy thing happened. This Hispanic woman walks on stage and the stage has a cross on it. And she begins to talk about the love of Jesus. And I'm sitting there, Richard, I'm 40 years old. I grew up in Adventist. I went to all the Adventist schools. And she began to tell me a story about Jesus Christ who loved me right where I was. And in that moment, man, the, the dam just burst and my tears flying out of my eyes, not coming out of my nose, my chest was heaving. Of course, the church is so big, nobody was noticing, but I was having this Holy Spirit moment when, again, 40 years old, and for the first time, I understood that Jesus Christ loved me right where I was. I didn't have to check this box and that box or this box. And her name was Elizabeth Talbot, and, and she was just awesome, preached that, that, that gospel, that good gospel to me. And I went home and got put my makeup back on and everything. I began to study with her and go to that church on Friday nights, and she had a great youth program at the time. And, and she baptized myself and my wife. I had a baby. I had had a girlfriend at the time that she was pregnant. And so we, Elizabeth married us. She, and she, my, my daughter, attended our wedding in a little love boat in her office. And then she baptized us and she dedicated Ariana, my oldest daughter, by my wife, Norma. And then we began from there. And that's, that's my conversion story from, from where I was to where God had brought me. What was different about what she was saying that you hadn't caught from before you knew it right you grew up in it but what was she saying that was different or was it 
I saw this quote the other day that the rock at the bottom of rock bottom is Jesus Christ. I don't know if, if it was that rock bottom experience or you tell you know me. What? That's a good question. I, I, I watched your interview, so I love that, the, that these questions can dig things or excavate things that maybe weren't there for me before. I would say both. I would say the frame is rock bottom because I'd had many setbacks in my life before, but I never, ever had felt compelled to, to go to the church. And so something about my condition with the infidelity and with all the things that were happening in my life created an opportunity for this. But what she was saying to me was revolutionary. And that was that in the moment, uh, I'm a sinner. I, I have cocaine in my system. I have Jack Daniels in my system. I, I'm, I've done all these things and much more that I've described to you, Richard. And yet in that moment, she told me that the, and she it was the prodigal son, by the way, what an amazing like, sort of God with this. And um, that God loved me right where I was. I was the prodigal son. I was coming back home. And in that moment, I realized that my father still loved me. Like he loved me, like he loved me. So I'm not sure what words she actually used. And maybe it was the context of the prodigal son story, but I had never heard this before growing up. I, I was told, keep the Sabbath, don't smoke, don't, don't drink, right? Do these things and you too can be saved. Were you assured of your safety and salvation in Jesus? In that moment, yes. In that moment, yes. Praise the Lord. And it, it, there's been a migration since, but, but I want to make sure that moment that our audience and that you as the interviewer know, that moment was complete. That was a complete moment. In that moment, I felt healed. I felt forgiven. I felt accepted. As I began to journey, I, I ended up moving to Portland, Oregon in 2003 with my wife and my new baby because I shared the life that I had. I described for you the life that I had shared here in Los Angeles, and it became apparent to me that's probably not a good place for me to begin my Christian journey. And God had moved some things in the background, and, and I ended up moving up with my sister and my mother up in, in Portland. And I began to go on a journey, you know, a Christian journey together. And as I began to go down that journey, I began to remember and re-experience some of the, the philosophies and theologies of Adventism, of Creed, relative to checkbox Christianity. A quick story for you. And when I went up there, I was still smoking cigarettes. I've been plagued by cigarette smoking all my life. I grew up in the seventies. I really let smoke. And so cigarette smoking has always been an issue for me. And when I moved to, up to there, one of my commitments was I was not going to put on my father's religious jacket. That I was going to travel with Jesus Christ. And he was going to show me how he wanted me to connect my life. I wasn't going to go get the, the checkbox for my father. And so I was still smoking cigarettes. And I had the most, some of the most amazing spiritual experiences at 5 30 in the morning, tears running down my face, open to biblical text with a cigarette and an ashtray and, and, and matches to my side. But at, you know, at some point in time, God had said to me, Hey, John, I love you. It's time for you to move on. And so this journey was happening in my life. So you're up in Portland and you're going to church. You don't want to be religious. You want to be a follower of the way Christians were. They follow the followers yeah. of the way. Um, how long were you up there and what were you growing in at that time? Just Okay. That I was up there from 2003 to 2011. What was I growing in? God was building my faith in him little by little. Here's a funny little sort of uh, anecdote. In Los Angeles, I had the best radar for schemers. Like I could always go into a room and I'd attract the schemers and we'd do some scheming. So I was a good networker. I came home from work one day with my wife and said to her, man, 
there's all these Christians at my shops that I visit. I'm in sales. I sell money for a living. I'm like, everywhere I go, these Christians are there. And then it, it dawned on me that these Christians are always there. These schemers are always there. God is wiring me differently. So I'm actually now that they're attractive to me. I'm attracting them, right? And so my life, as God begins to rewire me in terms of how I think about life, how I think about the future, parenting was huge. Raising my daughter, Ariana, who's now, she's at Berkeley, she's in her third year. And then my son, Aiden, who was against my wishes, bouncing the basketball after I told him not to, he's outside there watching the Niner game. <laughs> he's 14 years old. And so it's a completely different experience than my first three kids. Because now I have eternal thoughts in my mind and I'm trying to make sure that I'm, I'm, I'm passing along them. So God is using that in the background. So I'm, I'm getting, I'm adopting little by little, I guess to answer your question, a more spiritual worldview, right? That used to come in silos, right? This is the silo of the world and this is the silo of Jesus. And, and it's becoming more and more integrated where the John's worldview is now becoming very much aligned with what I'm reading every day. That's awesome, man. Yeah, what was God think? What was God's thoughts towards you, random day in two thousand nine, as you're growing? I love this. I love this. Okay, because because there's a jump off point. So there are moments, like I said, where I'd be under my desk, like crying, just feeling the Holy Spirit, feeling such acceptance and such love. But I was growing in Christ, and I had moments where I wasn't very Christ. And marriage can do that to you, and being a father can do that to you. And those moments, I wasn't sure. To be honest with you, there was a gray area in my theology between being in the spirit and being in the flesh. And it's never spoken or stated, but I know that I had the complete understanding that I could not be in the spirit and do and make a mistake. No one ever told me that, but it was just in my mind that if I had done something that was not aligned with the character of Jesus Christ, then I had taken myself out of salvation, taken myself out of acceptance. I was at the, at, during that period of time there, throwing myself on the grace of God saying, I don't know how that works. I'm going to still follow God because he's the reality of life. I just hope I die. You're saying that you still believe that if you made a mistake, you were out. I did. And then you. I did. And, I, and, I, and like I was just explaining to you, I think in my mind, I was thinking, God is gracious. God is good. I hope I die at the right moment. These weren't conscious thoughts in my head, but I recognized sure. that I was not 100% perfect. And my beliefs at that time didn't accommodate that I could be less than perfect and still be saved, right? It was confusing. It, it didn't occur confusing, It was, but the gospel was okay news. It, it's not... I think I, I resonate with that completely. I don't think I ever thought, oh, if I, the old, if you say a swear word and you, when you're driving and you get in the car accident and die, you'd be lost. I don't think I really believed that, but I don't think I also didn't believe that. I don't know what I yeah. believed. You know what I'm saying? It's just, I hope it works That's exactly, that's exactly, it. Richard. Exactly. And so eventually you end up down, back down yep, here? Yep, back down here. In, in 2011, when I moved back down here, I moved to Newhall. I live now in Santa Clarita and I began to, my son was going to a private school, not an Adventist school, but a Christian school. I wasn't really, I didn't have church community probably needed four broadcasts to, to get into my head in terms of religious institutions, but some things that happened in the past where I really wasn't very trusting of religious institutions, especially the Seventh-day Adventist religious institution. And so I wasn't really attending Adventist churches. And I had this Bible study at my house. I had, there were some kids' parents, my son's friend's parents, who were uh, pastors at, at Sunday churches. 
And they would come to my house on a Thursday morning. We'd break the Bible open. We'd study together. And it turned went from 8 to 8.30, 8 8.45 to, to 9.30. Pretty soon we're spending like Thursday mornings, like 8 to 12, just in God's word. Tons of spiritual en- en- energy. And then one of them said, dude, you need to find a church. This, the church is the place to express the spiritual energy that you have. And so I went out there with my kids and we started looking at churches in the area. And I ended up going to a, a place called Valley Crossroads, which was in Coima. And at Valley Crossroads, I, I got hooked up with a ministry run by Pastor Michael Johnson. It's an evangelistic uh, a ministry called Can You Hear Me Now Youth Conference. And so all that. And then Michael Johnson got a call to pastor the Pasadena Seventh-day Adventist Church. And so I followed him there as well. And so um, the next sort of blip in the story is, I meant, I'm, I'm doing the thing I know to do, right? Like you said, um, not sure about all the different moving parts, but I, I'm going forward because I'm a man of activity. I want to do what God wants me to do. So I'm, I'm the director of CYC. It's 2020. It's COVID. So we're inviting our speakers to come in and we're Zoom broadcasting instead of going up on the mountain where we normally go. And one dude comes down. He's from Fresno, a guy named Alvin Mirage. And I said, hey, Alvin, how you doing, brother? And he says to me, oh, Jesus is amazing. And it blew my hair back. I was like, what? And I, as he walked by me, I was like, listen, I know intellectually Jesus is amazing, but I, I don't feel that way about him. Wow. And so it began to percolate in my head. There's something I'm missing. There's something I'm missing. And so I go home that night after the series is over. And I get on my knees. I say, God, I have one singular prayer. I'm going to pray forever. I said, I want you to open my heart to feel your love in such a way that I feel like that. I want that, whatever he's smoking, whatever he's drinking, whatever he's imbibbing, I want to feel like that about you. And I don't. And I'm afraid that all this busyness that I'm busying busying myself with, what does it mean if it's not motivated? It's not motivated by my love for you. What's it motivated for? And I begin to feel hypocritical in a way, right? And I know we don't run our spiritual lives on feelings, but there was something missing. So I begin to pray. I begin to pray, God, pour your love in my heart. I want to get to a place where every single thing that I do is simply a response to your great love for me. And then one day, I had a buddy of mine, Pastor Byron, sent me this uh, little podcast. And it was a, he says, hey, I haven't fully vetted this out yet, but check this out to give me your opinion. And it was a gentleman named Richard Young. Uh, apparently, he's a Kansas City fan, which he didn't know at the time. Otherwise, I probably would not have listened to it. But Because uh, <laughs> it was right after the, was it before the Super Bowl or after? It was after the Super Bowl. Yes. After that. Okay. Yeah. If you would see God's providence, He did not let you know that I was a chief. Yeah, they would definitely throw the wall up for sure. And I listened to it. I'm like, wow. And the woman you were interviewing, her story wasn't exactly my story, but it was close enough where it resonated with me. There's something here, like she had pierced through whatever veil that was over my experience. And I dug deeper, and I know that you. Jonathan Leonardo. Do you remember what episode was the first one you listened oh, to? Wow. I'll go back on my text and look. I want to say her name is Ruth, but I think I've talked about it with you in the past and there's no Ruth. It was a young lady from the Midwest and she ended up going to Hawaii a couple of times to work on the team and she had some breakthroughs. I'll figure this out. Was it Chloe? Chloe. Was she his? No. Oh, she from, sorry. This, was she from Ohio? Yes. Midwest. Exactly. And she had a like her voice has cut like a really yes clean, not funny, yes but like it's a sweet thing voice but oh, you yeah, know what i'm talking about and it, that absolutely that is uh mrs yonkers oh wow know. yeah she's awesome so i heard this in the, awesome. and, I, and, I, and i dug deeper and i figured out you had mentioned their name jonathan leonardo and the, there so i googled jonathan leonardo and i got on and started listening to some of the love reality uh, series stuff and boy 
there was a three month period of my life where all I did was race after work, after dinner, do my responsibilities. I would just one after the other. And I and I, there's a series that we did in, in Lincoln, Nebraska, and one here, and I would just go over them over and over. I could probably recite them by heart. Uh, I did preaching at the time. And so a lot of times my sermons began to look, sound like this, but I began to understand the gospel, Richard, in a way that I'd never understood it before. I began to understand that, that I'm free from sin. I begin to under, I'd be, that little doubt thing that you and I talked about earlier about, I hope it works out because God is God. It shattered all that doubt. And all of a sudden, more and more, I began to live in freedom and assurance that today, salvation is mine. Today, I am free from sin. All right, we're going to take a quick break from the podcast right now. I'm going to bring on my friend, Kelly. And Kelly, why do you love the Death of Life podcast? Because it's so awesome to hear the stories of lives transformed, lives that have been brought from death to life in Jesus' name. I love it. Do you have an episode that sticks out to you? Oh, man, there's so many good ones. You know, I love Tyler and Morgan's just because they're friends of mine and hearing their stories has just been amazing. Also, your buddy Aaron has been on the podcast and and your friend yes. Annabelle. I love to have Black Hills yeah. people on the podcast. We need maybe more Black Hills people, right? I think so some people you can hit up. So you've decided to donate to keep this thing going forward. Why, why is that important to you? Because it's just such an important ministry as we see people's lives just get transformed. Those testimonies, those are those are the difference maker for the kingdom. It's just seeing what God has done in people's lives and how he's brought them from death to life. That's a huge thing. And that's, that's what makes, it's the best sermon that can be preached. Wow. So if, if you're listening, you want to partner with us to keep this thing going forward, you can go to lovereality.org slash give, and we can just keep this this ball rolling and uh, these stories going so people can hear the good news that God has reconciled them back to him through Jesus Christ. So lovereality.org slash give, and uh, man, we would uh, that would be such a blessing to us. Thank you so much, Kelly. Appreciate you. Yeah. Thanks. I begin to understand that, that I'm free from sin. I begin to under, I'd be that little doubt thing that you and I talked about earlier about, I hope it works out because God is God. It shattered all that doubt. And all of a sudden, more and more, I begin to live in freedom and assurance that today, salvation is mine. Today, I am free from sin. And, and this concept of walking out by faith, which I had always thought was like the Holy Spirit comes inside of you and then you here's my cobbled together gospel before this. God empowers you with the spirit, right? Like this. And then the Holy Spirit maneuvers you like a puppet. And on, if you completely surrender your will, then you're going to live a perfect life. But boy, every time John puts his will in there, I send boys back to the beginning again. And the series, listening to them over and over again, began to permeate my thinking, my gospel thinking. I began to realize that I'm free. What was the first thing that stood out to you immediately that, and did any of it, hit you weird or was it all oh it says it right oh my there. gosh was there any tension? i'll be honest with you there was zero i say zero there's probably some, none none that was record none that was uh palpable none that was like should be can be talked about or whatever because because what it was this i knew the bible i had read the bible and but i couldn't put that piece together just in, in going backwards 
after understanding the gospel, now I read Ephesians, man, it explodes on me. Now I read Romans, it explodes on me. And all these other pieces were together in my mind, but they needed that gospel thread to make them all alive, to make them all integral, to put them all together. The first thing I, the thing that rocked my world, to be honest with you, is the idea that I am perfect and blameless today. I have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places today, and my job is to walk out, walk it out by faith. That was revolutionary to me. I didn't. I thought that it was progressive. I thought that I get stronger, and like I said, the Holy Spirit comes and occupies me, and then I get better and better at this. And hopefully, Jesus doesn't come or I don't die before I get to that place where I'm fully empowered by the Holy Spirit. This idea that this word says that it's true of me today, and my job, the walk of faith, is to walk as if it's true today. That blew my mind, Richard. That blew my mind. You, you know what? I'm not going to blame any of this on you. Okay. <laughs> because I think it really is in the way, and I'm not going to blame anybody, but I just believe it's something that we believe. And I say we, and if you're not having this and you're not listening to this, and you're listening to this, then maybe you don't understand this. But it's not in the way we talk about sanctification. Because we're like, sanctification is is this thing that takes place through your whole life and you're never going to it's it's like this thing that you'll never arrive or you'll never fully get it right and i don't i i think that idea where there's some something about that there's some truth in something there but also sanctification is to be set aside for holy purposes it's, it's to be made holy Amen. And there are verses in the Bible that say you are sanctified in the same way that you are holy. Like you are holy, holy is to be set aside to for a holy for a spiritual purpose, for God's purpose. He has good works for you to walk out. And in order for you to walk them out, he sets you aside Amen. for them, therefore making you holy, therefore sanctifying you. Uh by one sacrifice, he has made perfect all those who are being sanctified. The way we talk about sanctification is, I guess we talk about it like God's pruning yes. us. That, that God is pruning us, and while he is, and we are growing in spiritual maturity, it is because we are sanctified that we are growing in spiritual maturity. Amen. It's because we are set apart. But we, I didn't understand that. I didn't know that. Did you, when you're starting to learn about what does sanctification mean? Like all of these religious, holy, spiritual words that were it kept us at arm's length, when we just see the definition and how Scripture uses it, it becomes a lot more understandable, and, and then you can see it in your life. Oh right? my God, yes. And I love the way you phrase things there, Richard, because that, that was a mind blower for me too. It's two sides of the same coin. This idea that, at, that I am saved, and yet Christ is saving me. That's not the right way to say this. The idea that I am sanctified, and then at the same time Christ is sanctifying me, that I didn't understand that. I, I thought that baptism, in a way, was like the matriculation, the graduation, and then at that point in time, I better be good afterwards. I didn't realize that baptism is the start of the journey. Baptism is like the entire journey. I'm on the terra firma of the perfect life of Jesus Christ and the salvation that he provides to me, right? I didn't know this. I thought that it was that my foundation of my salvation was me. And so as I got better and worse, my, I went up and down. And so this idea that I am, that's not true, that I live, I breathe, I, I operate on the terra firma of the salvation Jesus provided for me is mind-blowing for me because now I have assurance. Now I have joy. 
And ironically, the very behavior I was trying to get to in the old way is only available to me in this way because God begins to use the love that I'm receiving from him to transform me. And there are so many things, Richard, that are next to me over the years, and, and I had focused on them and prayed about them. Once I begin to understand the gospel and God's love, I look around, and they're gone. They're, I didn't even fight them. They're just gone. I had a marriage to my wife here that there were issues that were just, were just vexing me. And being able to really receive and understand the great love that God has for me, I no longer now have to look to her and make her responsible to give me that love back. You preach a sermon at a church that just it had me in tears because you're preaching directly to me. And that was my experience, that once I freed my wife from having to give me this love that I thought I needed to get from her because I was getting it from God, it now freed me to love her. I could just love her. I didn't need anything back from her. And that has revolutionized my marriage and my relations with others, yeah. right? And so this is visceral. This is DNA level. This is the foundation of any transformation you want. It has to be this. Otherwise, it's just white knuckle and compliance. You, it sounds like you believed that you understood righteousness by faith. Mm. But what you didn't really believe, you knew it, but by the letter, but by practice, you were figuring out how to be obedient enough to be saved? Totally. I, I would say like this. I thought that righteousness by faith meant that my righteousness comes by faith in Christ. And if I have faith in Christ, I will do right things. The moment I do a bad thing, clearly I've lost my faith in Christ. Therefore, there's no more righteousness by faith. Right? And, and again, no one says this, but it's sort of in the background. No, 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 no. People do. They do they say, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I wish they yeah. wouldn't, but people for sure yeah. say that. And in, in it's, the kind of scared straight mm -hmm. method, like where you're trying to scare somebody into doing right, but Ironic. it doesn't work. No, does and it? ironically, the Bible, and then again, once you understand the gospel in this way, you read the Bible the way it comes alive to you, and you realize that when God says he's going to give you a new heart, that's what he means. And you got to let him because that new heart is, is at the basis of my transformation. Anything... Any, any obedience that you render to be true obedience has to come from your heart. You, you can't, if you will one thing and do another and do the right thing, if you will the wrong thing and do the right thing or do the right thing for the wrong reason, James is clear that's still sin, right? It's not obedience. It's not, you're not aligned with the law of God, right? And so the only true obedience, the only true obedience comes from having your heart realigned. And the only way your heart can be realigned is if you receive the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and, and begin to understand his great love for you. And so that was a piece that was missing for me. I, and I think, parking me back to the beginning of our conversation, I think that I carried this concept of God's paternal love to me, but me having to be very specific with, with respect to my behavior and making it accept me, my conversion had downgraded that a little bit, but it was still lurking in the background. I, I didn't know how to deal with it. I knew that God was a reality. I was going to give my life to him. But that piece had not been satisfied. That piece was still working in the background there. And I thought, I'm not smart enough. I'm not, I don't understand enough to go on, but I know that this is the right path. I want to keep doing ministry. I keep preaching. This is good. And the boy, when I you know, heard the podcast and began to fall down the rabbit hole of the gospel, this has just got to another level, brother. It's crazy cool. <laughs> so the first, you were saying the first thing, holy, righteous, and blameless above reproach now in Christ Amen. and that you are Amen. in Christ. What else started to open up for you? Like, when did that hit you before I am? 
like Romans 6, 11, I consider myself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ? No, that actually came very recently. Richard, a gentleman named Richard Young, looks very much like you attended our church in Pasadena and, and he preached. And my buddy Arnold, who you know, noodled on that first. And I was in the background listening to that conversation. And I took it home and began to process it on the side. That's your. What was the conversation? What you're were talking, talking about, about? Arnold was asking you, he was talking to you about his flesh and how his flesh kept on influencing him to do things and how to deal with that. And you said to him, I don't believe you. <laughs> he said, what? Okay, this is what actually what you're talking about. Remember, we're talking about how the flesh is this state where you are under sin, under the law. And you don't do what you want to do, and you want to do things that you don't do, oh, wretched man that you are. And so I preached this sermon about how you're not in the flesh. And then Arnold says to me, he said, but I do want to do those things. And that's where I said, I don't believe you. Because here's the thing. We get tempted by something, and we believe that temptation is us that we actually want to do that thing, even though beforehand we would be like, no, I don't want to do that. And then afterwards, if we did it, we'd be like, man, I, I, I didn't even want to do that. Why did I do that? That's what I believe. But if you uh, give into temptation, one of the main reasons that you give into it is because you believe that you actually want to do that mm -hmm. thing. And I think this concept blew my mind. A buddy of mine who's been on the podcast named Jake Hotchkiss, he wrote this book called No Longer I, and, and he points out this verse in Romans 7 that it was the sin in you. It wasn't, it's not actually, you yes. don't want to take part in those things. But if you don't know that, then you'll just fall for it, hook, line, and sinker. So you heard that conversation. And one, hopefully one of the we'll things have Arnold here one of these days and we'll talk about it. Sure. One of, one of the things that resonated was your response to him was, and I'll tell you the proof of that. The proof is that is after you did it, you didn't feel, you didn't feel good, did you? Yeah. That's a sign of a qualified heart. I'm not sure I ever heard that term before. So I took that home with me and realized that's that was true of my case as well, right? That even in those moments when I go astray or do something that's not aligned with with how I feel, with how I how God wants me to, that's not Christ I'm trying to choose my words carefully here. I realized that I do have those pains, right? I do have that moment. And it made complete sense to me. But but prior to that, I'd never thought about being free from sin. I would say prayers like I go to preach and go say, hey, God, the old John here, I don't know where he starts, stops and you start, but I know that's pride and this hubris, take it away. And so I would, it's wrestling and I need you to get the upper hand here. And then I realized that, no, I am in Christ. I'm a new creation. Right? I am free from sin. If I have those thoughts, it's you, you talked about it. And again, I'm going to glean from your conversation. It's pattern thinking. It's just the way that John has always thought. It's, it's muscle memory. And so now I treat it as such. As opposed to treat like, look at John. John's here trying to get what's his again. And it really freed me in a broader sense. It was a, it's a progression, right? That's recent, bro. That's since that moment that you confronted Arnold. <laughs> wow. So let's talk about this for a second. When you were very, what at what age do you believe that you were the most, and you use this word, the vocabulary on this episode, hubristic or prideful? What age do you think that was at its max? Probably in my probably my late twenties, at, at the height of the porn okay. business and the organized crime. That piece right there. Did you know at that point that that's that you were super prideful and hubristic? No, I, I would have told you like Moses, no. I was the most humble man in the world. So when you're sitting here now and you're like, "Oh, I'm prideful, Lord," 
if in Christ, if you are acting in a way that's not like, you absolutely know it. And you can name it and you can call it out and be like, oh, I'm doing this thing. When you're deceived, and I've said this a million times on this podcast, part of the definition of deception is that you don't know you're deceived. You don't know it. You didn't know that you were prideful. You didn't know that nobody could tell you anything. You really believed you're good. And it isn't, and and this is one of the secrets to life. (laughs) You don't know it until it's over and you can look back. I didn't know I was in a horrible marriage. Now my wife knew. I didn't know I was in a horrible marriage until I wasn't in one anymore. And then you can look back. But now if things are starting to go sideways because of my selfishness, I know I'm being selfish. And I can name it. And I could say, Richard, love your wife. Richard, do not lose your cool. You don't, that doesn't have any power over you. You can actually live the exact way you want to live because who you are is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Anything that's outside of that, you're not being yourself. I love that. Does that make sense? And I'm, every time I talk to you, I glean more information to to, to put into the equation. I love that idea. I'm not being myself. I'm in Christ. I'm in Christ. I'm in creation. And so when you're right, when I think outside those, I'm not being myself. It's not John saying, look at John, you're being, no, no, that's, that's not good English. I'm not John anymore. John is dead. I am in Christ. And so those thoughts that are gone. Yeah. Old John, new John has been crucified with Christ. Yeah. The life he lives is by the faith in Love Christ, who, who loved him and laid his life down. For Amen. Him. So that's who you actually are. So if the you is, the Johnest John that could ever be John is Christ Amen. in John. Oh, that's awesome. Yes, because that's what it was before the foundation of the world. Like he never created you with the oh, and then John's going to leave and he's going to be wild and he's going to do all these things. He created you to love you. He created you to be his kid, to grow in him, to never be separated. Amen. And so now that you're not, like that's who you that's who you've always been. Who that was your purpose and destiny from. From Jump Street. That's so good. That's yeah. so good, Richard. That's so good. Love that. Man. Guilty as charged. So, Guilty um, as charged. I am in Christ. I am a new creation. <laughs> creation. I am crucified with Christ. Fine. I'll take it. I've been crucified with Christ. No longer I who live with Christ that lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. In the Amen. <laughs> um, so you're growing in this thing. You're hearing these. You're and then just recently, uh, when I was in Pasadena, and man, that's been such a blessing for me. And you're going to hear some, for the listener, you're going to hear some episodes of, man, some stuff that happened in Pasadena has just been a huge blessing. But then you started to understand that the empire of sin, this capital S-I-N sin, you have actually been set free from that by Jesus Christ. You didn't break out of it. You didn't get victory over it yourself. Jesus Christ actually came and opened the prison door and set you free from it, That's that started to really take root in the summer. Yes, yes. It's amazing how we find this strand of the gospel everywhere in the Bible that we look. We just did a, if you are following the Sabbath school quarterly, we just did Ephesians for 14 weeks. And Ephesians, cool book, and, and thinking back now, I thought about it. It's in the New Testament. Paul wrote it. Mind blower. Like when you understand the yeah. gospel, what you just said about being free from sin, this book comes alive in ways that I, I, I couldn't fathom. And so having your, the way that you presented uh, freedom in the background and then journeying through this book of Ephesians has been 
it's like going to IMAX. It's, it's been a real like enlightening experience for me. And every day as I contemplate the you know, life around me, I see it newly in ways I haven't had in before. The, the struggles that I thought I was having, I'm not having anymore. I am freed from sin. That, that, that construct in your mind has you engage the world around you completely differently, right? And then the reason I bring up Ephesians, Ephesians is like this rich storehouse treasure. So we find that verse that I have all spiritual blessings in Christ, right? I have the patience of Christ. I have the purity of Christ. I have the courage of Christ. And so when I get up in the morning and I am facing a challenge as opposed to God, oh God, help me get through this day today. I go, God, thank you. It just happened yesterday before I preached. I was having some issues as opposed to God, help me. It's God, thank you. I affirm that your promise in your word that you will never leave me nor forsake me. That when I go on that stage there, that you said that you'll give me the words to say, thank you. I believe you. I trust you. I walk on that stage with joy and assurance that you'll put the words in my mouth. It's a different way to face life. You face life now armed, right? As opposed to God, help me get through this. It's going to happen tomorrow. I do know what's going to happen tomorrow. God's going to be with me. Yeah. I am in Christ. Christ is in me. And that's the end of the story, right? So it's, it's a different construct than I, I've faced the walk before, even recently. Right. Right. So tell me if you're like me, I can preach a million sermons, but it's always the same sermon. I preached when I was in Pasadena. It was, I don't know how many nights I was there, like seven or eight nights, but it's all the same sermon at the end of the day. It's, this is what he has done. Uh, you used to preach a lot and I still think you preach a lot. What, what is the sermon? If I went to hear you preach for 13 Sabbaths in a row, I'm walking away. I'm like, man, that, that brother, John, man, he wants me to know what is the thing that you've been preaching? So it's funny you should say that I'm doing a, 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 a Daniel and Revelation series centered in the gospel of an Oxnard. We're in, last night was week 13 of 24, right? And so that's an easy answer to your question, by the way. If you just click on the appeal last night, you'll get your answer. The answer is very simple. We, we did the second coming last night. We were talking about the second coming. We leaned into the Left Behind series a little bit. At the very end, we went over the second coming, what it's going to look like. And my appeal went something like this. Listen, I know a lot of you guys are celebrating because the second coming is going to be fantastic. A lot of you back there are thinking in your heads, I'd love to celebrate. And maybe I'll celebrate in front of my people here. But when I get home tonight, I'm not celebrating because I don't think I live the kind of life that would qualify me for salvation. So I'm not going to be embarrassed. But when I go home in my closet, in my room, I'm not really feeling that about the second coming because my life won't qualify. And I said to you, I will say this. This is the gospel that the life that you think it took for you to qualify for heaven, Jesus has lived it for you. And those things that you've done in the past that you, that you think stopping, Jesus has died on the cross to, to, to pay for those things. You believe that, you can celebrate today that you have salvation. You can celebrate today that you're free from sin. You can celebrate today that when the second coming comes, you're not mourning, you're not weeping, you're not gnashing teeth. You are one of the joyous ones that the sun will rise like righteousness over you, right? So that's really what you need to hear every time, some different form. I know that they, not disparagingly, but funny at my church, they call me the gospel preacher because John only comes in the one flavor. I, I'm like you, Richard. I come in one flavor. It may look, the, the package may look different or the, the wrapper one day may look different, but at the end of the day, it's one flavor. I am a one-trick pony. I've got one drum and I bang it everywhere Amen. I go. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Man, you just said the life that you think you needed to live to qualify you to resurrect in the second coming, Jesus has lived that life and has given it to you for free. What? 
Let's go. Okay. Let me ask you this as we wrap this up. And usually I take you back in time to a spot, but man, maybe I got to take you back in time before. Because in this moment where you're in your Burbank apartment and, and you hit rock bottom and you go to the church and praise God for Elizabeth Talbot who preached the gospel to you. Um, yeah, if, if you get to if you get to go sit with that guy, let's say he didn't go to the church that night. Let's let's say two weeks before or something when you just found out about your girlfriend and you get to wrap your arms around this guy, maybe take him to in and out and sit down with him and we're we're California themed for this episode. You sit down with this guy and you put your arm around him. What are you going to tell this sweet John who's who has just had his world rocked and, and doesn't know if he's ever going to make him make it out of wow. it? I would tell him that hole in his heart that he's feeling that he tried to fill with his girlfriend's love and that he tried to fill with the adoration of people by wearing nice custom made suits and wearing and driving nice cars. That hole can only be filled by the love of Jesus Christ. And you can go another 40 years in this planet, young man, and you and nothing's going to change. And get the love of Jesus. Find the love of Jesus. Put that into, into your heart and watch you be, become free. Watch you have the life that you've always wanted to have. I was born with the God was good and he made me, gave me a heart that I love people. I truly, at my core, it's not a, it's not a hardship for me to get up. Some people are just gifted that way. And I love those around me and I love to serve those around me, but I had to get out of my own way. And so getting my love from God and I would tell this young man that hole in your heart, fill it with God's love, because then you can fulfill your real purpose, your real love, your real passion, which is to serve others and help others. But you have to get, you have to be at the source first. That's what I would say. I had this future. You got to, you got to get a revelation of his love for That's you, it. right? That's it. Yes. John, man, you've been a testimony to me. You've been an encouragement to me, just seeing your passion and your heart for people. I know you have a passion for the Lord because he's loved you very well, but you're also one of these people that God has created in a special way that people are your thing. And you've ministered to me when I was out there and you continue to minister to me. We text back and forth and yeah, you're a testimony of God's goodness. And I think he's just going to be doing more and more through you. Uh, As long as you got air in your lungs, I feel like this is going to be, this is the story and it's pretty much God loves you with an everlasting love. He loves you so much. He reconciled you back to himself through Jesus. And now you're Amen. in. Amen. Hey, you came and rock our world too, brother. And this has been so good. And I love you came in and you shook us up a little bit because we're having some cool conversations. I think ultimately speaking, will serve uh, our congregation to be able to go out there and preach the everlasting gospel here at these end times because Jesus is coming soon. God be praised, Amen. my man. Man, this episode just... It's, it's it's such a beautiful picture of God and how he's just chasing and chasing. And he just is wanting for you to see who he actually is with a clear view. You know, 1 Corinthians 2 talks about that we have the mind of Christ, that we are supposed to understand the mystery uh, of what God has done. Um, but if, you, if you've heard this episode and perhaps maybe you're like young John and you think you've gone too far, you think that it's too much. Maybe you understand that God will never leave you or forsake you, but you don't know it in your heart. I want you to pray this with me. Father, I know that you say you won't leave me or forsake me. Yet I don't know it. I just understand it in my brain, but it hasn't reached my heart. Father, I want you to put it in my heart 
so that I can know without a doubt that you would never leave me. You would never forsake me. That you've never been disappointed in me. That you love me with an everlasting love. And that you will chase me till the ends of the earth to show me that. I'm asking you to put this in my heart because I don't know how to get it there. And I believe you will because I'm praying this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you are looking for more, you've heard this episode and you want more, you want to actually break down the Bible and read why are we free from sin? You know, you heard all these stories. What you can do is go to our Love Reality YouTube page. And on our Love Reality YouTube page, there's we go through wave one. And you can see it explained and you can see it in scripture and you can understand how this truth is for you. So go to the Love Reality YouTube page and you can do that by just going to YouTube and searching for Love Reality. We're going to pop up and watch wave one. I think you're going to be really, really, really blessed by it.